everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Elite Beat, your source for all the AEW news, reviews, previews, and uh, ratings analysis. In-depth ratings analysis. Check us out on Instagram, at the Elite Beat Pod. Hell yeah, we post weekly. Sometimes more than weekly. Weekly at minimum. At minimum. There's lots of good stuff out there. Yeah. And speaking of good stuff, we've got lots of it for you today. We've got uh, our usual stuff. We've got Being the Elite. We've got Dark. We've got Dynamite. We've got news, ratings, and uh, previews for Dark and Dynamite uh, this upcoming week. But first, we're going to kick things off the way we kick things off every week. The Elite Beat Pop of the Week. What do we have this week on uh, up in Columbus here, Jenny? I'm back on the champagne kick. Mm-hmm. I wasn't not on a champagne kick, but... Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, you never get off that train. No, no, you're right. But last week I didn't partake, so... Oh, hi, Megan. Oh, hello. Oh, I forgot to introduce Megan. I forgot to introduce anybody. <laughs> Champagne's <laughs> more important. <laughs> well, this week we thought we'd give the listeners a little treat. We're mainly ourselves a little treat because the listeners can't actually drink with us. And if you are, please don't drink and drive. Drink and like maybe like sit. <laughs> this week we are drinking Dibault Valois, which is a French champagne. It is from the village of Cromont, and it is a very small family-run champagnery. So we first discovered this on one of my favorite documentaries, A Year in Champagne, which is on Netflix. Everyone should go and watch it. I've watched it like probably 10 times. It's wonderful and just makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we met this family on a year in Champagne, and it's a grandfather. It's three generations. It's three generations. So the grandfather started it, and now his son and daughter are working for the Champagnery. And not so much in a year in Champagne, because it it's about 10 years old, but uh, the granddaughter is now also working here. So when Andy and I went to the Champagne region last year in April, we visited this winery because we had seen it on the documentary and wanted to go see it in person Mm -hmm. and the granddaughter who we saw open up her first magnum bottle of champagne when she was 13 Mm -hmm. on the documentary gave us our tour and our tasting and it was really cool yeah yeah and like her aunt so her father is the son and then her aunt also is there and her aunt in the documentary like physically gets into the the vats. the vats to clean them because she was the only one at the time that could like fit in there. And I think she still does it to this day. We asked about it specifically. Yeah, yeah. The bottle's beautiful. It's um, the label is. We'll post the bottle on our Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Um, the label's based off of back in the 1700s, 1800s when uh, they were first making wine and champagne. Uh, None of the bottles were actually labeled with stickers. That wasn't a thing. There weren't yet. paper labels. Yeah. Yeah. So there were these little um what, what do you call it? like metal paint painted metal yeah labels uh with like a, almost like a little necklace for mm-hmm. the wine that would say it was always by the um it was almost like dog tags yeah 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 like a dog tag for the wine but beautiful and it said the name of the village that the the wine was made. So the grandfather's a big collector and had 
um, quite a few of these in his little office that we got to see. And the label is based off of that from a design perspective, though it is a sticker. So let me open this guy up. And that so, is uh, Diebold Valois. Check it out. It's So today we are drinking the Cuvée Prestige. Uh, it is a pure Cremant Blanc de Blanc. A Blanc de Blanc just means, means that it's made out of 100% Chardonnay grapes. We and brought we, this back home from... Uh, from. Yeah, we've been waiting to drink this for almost a year yes. now. and uh, So hopefully yeah. it's as good as it was at the tasting. Yeah. All right. Cheers. That's good. That's really crisp yeah. and good. It has a nice nose on it, too. Yeah. All right, Megan, what are you drinking? Uh, well, not to be out-fancied, but I'm drinking a can of Rheingeist beer. It's um, it's called Truth. It's an India Pale Ale. It's available at local grocery stores for about $10 as far as the price point goes for a six-pack. So, you know, I understand fancy. I'm living the lifestyle. Um, I have visited the brewery and drank there, so much like you, worldly. It's in downtown Cincinnati, so I had to travel far and wide. But um, it is a, apparently, according to the back of the bottle here, it has a tropical fruit aroma, grapefruit and mango notes, and a dry finish. So, mm. yeah, it's it's a good staple beer I feel like I get and just can drink one or two throughout the week. So, You know, don't feel bad. I had a uh, yingling last week. Yeah. But it was appropriate for the location. I mean, Cleveland was so excited about Yingling. We, y- you were thematically on point. I guess so, yeah. Anyway, do, uh, can we hear that crack? We can indeed. Oh, see, that's nice. I like that. Was that was satisfying. I like, I like a good crack as well as a, as a pop. But it's called Pop of the Week. It's not called Crack of the Week. Okay, Jenny. Crack Easy. of the Week sounds a little... <laughs> you don't know what you're getting with that. No, you sure don't. Shall we get into Being the Elite, episode 189, Room for Cream? This is fucking Matt's turn episode. So, <laughs> so okay, so uh, a few things to get into in this one. Uh, we uh, we start off with uh, the cold open as Matt's playing uh, dress up as a barista, as Brandon Cutler comes into the locker room to try to talk to the Young Bucks about his win-loss record and how it's really getting him down. Before he can elaborate... Kenny bursts into the room, going crazy about how funny it was that Britt Baker belittled Tony Schiavone for being a barista, uh, which makes Matt sad because he is, you know, he's wearing an apron. He's wearing a green apron. He's wearing a green Starbucks-style apron and and trying to serve coffee. And then Cody comes in, and he and Kenny double down on how funny it was. And that makes Matt even sadder. Jenny, Matt's not being the mean one in this particular segment, so I don't see a heel turn yet. Uh, wait until the end of the episode, Megan. I've got some thoughts. Okay. Uh, we're at the Cleveland airport where fans descend upon the Young Bucks, and uh, everyone has, like, five things that they want them to sign, which I just think is awful. Like, if you're going to do that thing where you go, like, stalk celebrities at the airport, at least just bring one thing. Like, there was a guy and who, who like, had, had Matt sign something, and then you could see, like, him mouth, like, hey, man, just one more? And... <laughs> Man. Yeah, I didn't like it. No, he had like a pile too. It, you have yeah. to 
assume he had gotten other things signed. And that's so obviously like, I'm going to go home and put this on eBay. Yeah, for real. Matt and Nick are at the arena and Matt wants to go to Starbucks. And Nick's like, no, we've got coffee just like right down here. We're just, we're not going to Starbucks, Matt. And then Matt has what Nick describes as boo-boo face, which is when a wrestler has bad creative that they don't like, and you can tell it by watching them on TV. It's boo-boo face. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know it was an official term. It's an insider term. Oh. Yeah. It sounds like something you say to a child when they've hurt themselves. Yeah. And he has a boo-boo bear. (laughs) Is it sad about its creative? (laughs) No, like as a child, his mom (laughs) bought him this adorable little bear it's like a a towel uh, like a it's a bear washcloth it's a bear washcloth but it has a little pocket to put an ice cube in so I that when you have boo boo it was called boo boo bear and it's the most adorable it's not that andy uses it today but his mom did give it to him and it's really cute i would if i knew where it was it's in the drawer over there oh, okay. sometimes i see it when i'm rummaging around and i think that's adorable <laughs> dude i fully had one of those and i loved it because it was so convenient yeah. Yeah. And cute. Uh, the Bucks are at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Smells Like Teen Spirit is playing, and they joke about how they won't be able to monetize this week's episode, which I thought was funny. Because uh, they have to pay for the rights. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought we had a pretty good do you this week, as Kaz is in the at the Hall of Fame Museum. And uh, I guess there's just like a lot of, I guess it's pretty interactive. Uh, more so than last time I went, because Kaz is playing uh, a riff on a guitar, I guess a bass, and he's playing the bass riff to the Too Sweet Me song, and Nick is kind of humming along with it. He's like, hey, I know that riff. And then Kaz shouts, do ya? And uh, Nick takes an exaggerated bump onto a uh, onto an ottoman or something. Orange Cassidy is sitting somewhere in the museum, and Matt says, what the hell is he doing here? Which is a bit they did when they went to that basketball game a couple weeks ago and then they didn't do it the next week and now they've brought it back. So maybe it is actually going to pay off into something. I I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's paying off into anything. This is like a long con. I think I, I believe it will pay off, but it's one of the slow moving ones because mm. why would they keep doing it? Yeah. You know, I trust them. Also, I think it's really funny that, the concept of Orange Cassidy just showing up places as if he's not allowed to leave the area of the best friends. You know, like, he is a person. He's allowed to go to the Rock Hall of Fame. This is part of, uh, this is part of Matt's heel turn. Jimmy I probably think so. Because he's, oh. he's aggro about Orange Cassidy. I mean, I think if you, if you are mean to faces, isn't that kind of a heel move. Perhaps. In the locker room, SCU and Hangman kind of pass by each other. Brandon Cutler is sitting in SCU's area, so he gets up and leaves. And uh, Kaz starts busting Brandon's chops, shouting, Hey, the jobber locker room's over there. And then Scorpion and CD are like, Hey, man, that's not cool. And he's like, Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. CD's bag has been open this whole time. And... He walks away to go do something, and Scorpio asks him if he can borrow some wrist tape, and he points to his bag where it is, and, and they and he looks for it, and he finds a Dark Order mask. And uh, Kaz hopes that he's just into some pervy shit. 
and uh, and they, they they put the mask back, but they are concerned about uh, you know CD and the fact that he has that mask. Well, it was just Brandon's mask. I mean, Brandon was in there. Brandon was in his bag. Yeah, Brandon's mask. What'd you make of this, Megan? I thought it's Brandon's mask that he put in there as like a message, not necessarily that they're coming for him, but maybe that they're still interested in him. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I like the idea of CD becoming a high up in the Dark Order because he's very good at that sort of thing. But it seems like they're still playing him as a good guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that... All right, if I'm the exalted one, I'm not trusting Brandon Cutler to do shit. <laughs> he does not seem capable of... Doing shit? Yeah, or being <laughs> cunning or pulling anything off. This is sloppy work. You know, he keeps losing in the ring. Maybe his true talent is out of the ring subterfuge. We don't know. I think his true talent is nothing. Some more voiceover stuff from Hangman like we had last week. And uh, this time he's just narrating his big spot from Dynamite, which uh, Megan will get into later. And uh, he does remark that the blade is oily as hell. So that's good to know. Do you think Allie likes him oily? You should ask her. You should add her on Instagram and say, like, yeah. (laughs) Do you like your oily husband? (laughs) I mean, I assume the answer is yes. She married him. And then to close out the episode, we get... Um, voiceovers from Matt, Nick, and Rick Knox, which I think is kind of overkill because I thought it was funny when it was Hangman, but if everybody's going to have voiceovers, I don't know if I like that so much. I, it's like it's like Scrubs was good because JD had a voiceover, not because everybody had a voiceover. Except for that one episode where everybody had a voiceover. I was going to say, wasn't there that one episode <laughs> where everyone did? Yeah, yeah, he, it passed around. Yeah, Maybe this is the one episode where everyone will have a voiceover and then they'll drop it next week, but I don't think they'll drop Matt's because he's clearly... He's spiraling. He's like really self-conscious and he just seems to be in a bad place right now. Okay. Well, I thought, I thought Rick Knox's line was funny because so like they're at some, I think they're at the airport at a restaurant Mm -hmm. and Matt and Nick are like just doing like kind of voiceovers back and forth. And then it pans over to Rick Knox and his voiceover is just, I wish these guys would just get out of the ring when I start my 10 count. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Rick Knox. So that was being the elite. Not not too much, but they 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 did they did push the um they did push the Brandon Cutler angle a little bit further. That takes us to AEW Dark for February 4th, 2020. Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt defeat Sunny Kiss and Brandon Cutler. Brandon Cutler continues to lose. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, he didn't even get into the ring. No, this one he did. Last week he didn't when he was with uh, when he was against the Dark Order. Mm. This one he wrestled like a normal match because he wasn't up against you know oh. his cult. I must have missed this then. You didn't see this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hikaru Shida defeated Mel. Uh, not much to the match, but actually there was a pretty, pretty like damn big angle afterwards. Megan, were you surprised at how much like a how much they did? on dark and B how much they didn't talk about it on dynamite. <laughs> yes. To both of those things. So awesome. Kong. Smacks... Wait, wait, you weren't surprised by them not talking about it on dynamite because they've never done a good job of that. Right. I guess I continue to be surprised that they're not doing a good job of it. That's the part that surprised me, but you're right. Like it's par for the course that something like this happens and they just don't say anything about it. 
But... After the match, Awesome Kong smacked Mel in the back of the head and pulled her by the ear up the ramp. And Mel pushes Kong, which, you know, I, yeah, don't don't let her do that to you. I would say that's, that's reasonable. But uh, Kong, you know, is getting ready to, like, fire back. And Luther pulls Kong's arms behind her back to give Mel some open shots. And then Mel ends up slamming Kong repeatedly into the barricade. We got a uh, medical update from uh, AEW's Twitter. Awesome Kong medical update. On this week's episode of AEW Dark, Kong suffered serious injuries at the hands of Mel and Luther. We do not know when or if she will return to action. And what this actually is, is Glow Season 4 begins filming this week. Mm. So Awesome Kong is heading back to wherever they're at Los Angeles, I guess, to, um, to do that. Well, I really hope that with this angle and then her being gone for however many months it takes to film low, that they'll just forgotten about the nightmare collective. It'll just like naturally go away. Well, between this and the, the psychotherapist skits and, and what Brandy did on dynamite, I think maybe this was the kind of quiet end of the nightmare collective. Oh, <laughs> Oh, indeed. I was surprised at how brutal the going through the barrier was, because at first I thought this angle was to get her out of the ring for a bit because of her back, and she landed really hard on her back on the barrier. Um, So there was a moment where I thought she might be legitimately hurt. I also just think that they should do, like you had mentioned with Mel being a bad wrestler, and kind of acknowledge the fact that they pulled her out of the crowd because it seemed a little unfair to be slapping her around for failing to win when she is theoretically a person who doesn't wrestle. Right, yeah, yeah. I agree with that, Megan. Kenny Omega and Riho defeated Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford. This was handheld, oh. no camera, no commentary. You could tell that it was not intended to be aired. But they had the match. Like, I, I don't know. I would love to know what the decision-making process was on this. Because... I have to imagine if they thought that they were going to end up airing this, they would have at least had a hard camera set up. Yeah. Why didn't they? I, I don't know. I kind of wonder if maybe they decided to air it after the fact because people asked for it. Like, like us I, specifically. Cause I know I did. Yeah. Well that, and I don't know. I don't know if there was people like clamoring for it, but I do remember seeing them in the background of one of the sections of being the elite. And I remember seeing that and thinking, man, I hope I get to see that match. So I wonder if that was enough to make people say like, Hey, where's this match? It looked interesting. Well, I just thought that they were airing all of the matches like last year, they aired all the matches on what fight TV or something like that. Mm. So I just assumed that all of the matches had been videotaped. And I wouldn't pay to watch that quality. This quality. I mean, yeah. it was like watching one of my old PBS masterpieces from the 1990s in SD on my 65 inch 4K TV. Like Jeez. it's unwatchable. What a what a sentence that was. <laughs> so much. Yes. So do you remember so when Mr. Darcy <laughs> choke slammed well, <laughs> anyone? <laughs> On your television in SD, it was real bad. <laughs> he probably wanted to choke slam George Wickham at one point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I so like I thought the match was cool. I I just wish it had been professionally filmed. I did, the one thing I did like about like no commentary and then like them having like a closer camera was that you could hear Kenny Kenny and Kip especially were just talking a lot, doing a lot of jaw jacking. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I so I've never seen an intergender match. Mm-hmm. I've seen mixed tag team matches, but never intergender. Yes. I I was okay with Kenny and Penelope, their first segment. It wasn't hitting a woman, but then when Kip and Riho got in the ring, Kip kind of just hit Riho a lot. I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't I didn't like seeing that stuff. I I don't know. I guess I'm I don't know. I mean, when Kenny and Penelope were in the ring, like Kenny got her in a lock and then she gymnasticked her way out of the lock and was like, "I'm better than you, Kenny." Mm-hmm. But then when Kip and Riho were in the ring, he kind of overpowered Riho, and I didn't like that look at all. Okay. I didn't like that. How did you feel when Kenny hit Penelope with the Snapdragon suplex? I, it's just, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like. It made you feel uncomfortable? It made me feel a little uncomfortable. Megan, how did you feel watching this? I really liked the match, but I will say I liked the the way Kip was doing heel work a lot. And I liked when he and Riho were doing very clear wrestling moves on each other because I think he was a good base for her gymnastic stuff. And he sold well, which I appreciate. But it did start to get weird for me when he was, like, picking her up and slamming her down Mm -hmm. and just direct hits. So I guess it's just that ingrained thing of when they're doing very obvious choreographed moves, it it was like, oh, cool. They work really well together. But I just couldn't get past it when it was more just direct beatdowns or, like, brutally hitting somebody. And... I don't think Kenny and Penelope had that much of that type of interaction except the Snapdragon at the end. But even then, I was like, well, that's a wrestling move. So I didn't get as bothered. But um, I really liked the match. I thought it was a really good match, and it really showcased all of them well. So I just think there's that ingrained thing where I'm never going to be fully comfortable watching a guy just straight up hit a woman in the face. So the show ended with a, uh, or not the show, but the uh, the match ended with Kenny doing a promo talking about the evolution of wrestling. He said there was a time when purists would have hated the idea of flying moves and then hated the idea of tag team matches. And then he brought up this is just another step in the evolution of the business. And he noted that if this match didn't work, there probably would never have been another one in AEW. So he thanked the fans for helping make it work. How does he know it worked? Well, he heard the reaction. Well, yeah, but those are the crazed fans. How does he know that that would work on, like, Dynamite? Well, I don't know. I mean, it worked It worked in this setting. I think okay. that's the point. Like, it's it's a small step. He's, like, just testing it out. Yeah. It's quite it's quite a test on, like, your biggest fans who are going to see no wrong in anything, though. Yeah. Well, they were doing asshole chants at Kip when he was beating up Riho, so I feel like it's a good sign that at least they weren't super into, like, lady abuse um (laughs) from that angle but also because there was no hard cam and it wasn't like professionally shot when the camera guy got close to certain sections of the audience there were some really gross things thrown penelope's way that 
it caught in the audio that I hated, and yet they bleeped out fuck when there was a <laughs> fuck him up Riho chant. So I, I feel like that was like a little weird. What did you catch? I somebody said something about her ass when oh. she was doing the move to get out of Kenny's headlock, which was like she's doing a cool move. Do we really need to like be gross about her ass right now? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, sh- say it. Say it. What? You you want to say something? No, yeah. I mean, I, I I agree. It's like she looks really good, but I mean, she's also talented. Jenny's like Jenny's like yeah, but she does have a really nice. I mean, ass. she does have a nice ass. I wouldn't scream that out loud <laughs> while she's in front of me. Like, keep that thought to yourself. Yeah, you that's can- the thing. That's the thing. Is like I'm not against. Like, obviously, she's dressed sexy. She wants to be sexy. There's no issue with that. It's more the gross delivery of, like, nice ass or something. You know, like, yeah. it's just the tone and the what you're saying. And maybe it's a thought you don't need to, like, speak to the world. It would be just fine rattling around in your empty head. Okay? Yeah. Or get yourself a podcast, and then you can talk about <laughs> her nice ass. <laughs> Uh, I mean, is Scorpio ever going to wear those black pants again? I don't, I don't know. I, wouldn't, I would never scream nice ass at Scorpio. No, <laughs> I would never do that. I mean, I do talk about how attractive he is on this podcast, but I would never, like, scream it at his face while he's wrestling. Yeah. And uh, our main event for Dark, which, yeah, it just kept going. This show was 80 minutes this week. <laughs> um, best Friends... Versus uh, Sean Spears and a mystery partner. And Megan, I didn't watch this match. And Jenny didn't watch this match. So you are a correspondent. So tell us about this match, if there was anything to tell. Oh, man, getting tagged in. Uh, There is stuff to tell. And maybe more so than you would have had. But this was a best friends match, so I had to write stuff down. Okay. (laughs) Um, The best friends win. Spoiler. And Trent is the one who gets to get the pin. Um... After he and Chuck do the strong zero, they pin little Colin. Uh, because, of course, Colin is the the lamb to slaughter. And partly, part of that is that Tully pulls Sean's beers out of this match as soon as it looks like they're losing. So Sean's gone by the time the pin actually occurs. But Sean and Colin, they don't quite have the tag team chemistry that I guess Sean and Tully are looking for. Um, Colin tagged Sean in at one point. And then he went to do a double man move with him, but they clearly hadn't talked beforehand about any of the moves they might do together. So Colin sort of was off to one side and like bent down, I guess, as if he was going to like hoist somebody up. And meanwhile, Sean Spears is over on the other side doing something set up for something completely different. And then he looked over at Colin and was clearly very mad that he didn't read his mind. So that's like that's actually I like that they did a spot like that. Yeah, it makes total sense. It was just funny to see Sean Spears get super pissed when Colin Delaney was, like, not in the place he expected him to be when they clearly hadn't chatted. So they did that a couple times just to really cement the fact that they don't work well together. And as Megan just mentioned, this is Colin Delaney, who, former uh, WWE um, star uh, (laughs) under the ECW brand back in the, (laughs) the revival of that. And uh, he's done a lot of work for Chikara over the years. So, Yeah, it was like a Chikara reunion because you had him, Chuck, and Bryce was the ref. So get your right. get the group back together. 
But did you guys see him wrestle when you used to go to your Takara matches? Uh, at least once, yeah. I believe we had saw him and Chuck in the same match, and Bryce was probably the ref. So yeah, it was probably a reunion of that specific match that Megan and I saw live. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I have a couple more things I'll get through quickly, but basically, after there was one other funny part that I liked. After a failed pin, Sean Spears gets up and gets in Bryce's face, and Bryce does it. He like holds up three fingers and yells three, and Sean Spears yells two. And then they start going back and forth with this three, two, three, three, two. And then someone in the crowd goes, ten, ten. And then they just devolve into that. And Sean Spears gets very angry. So That's funny. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It was, it was actually like a moment where Sean Spears was kind of getting over with the crowd as a heel, obviously. But this was one of his more um, loud matches where people actually gave a shit about what's going on. I want to. I want to believe that they have an idea for where this is going, and they and they know who the eventual partner is going to be. Yeah, you'd hope, but it, it's also working, or at least this week it worked. As far as like, if you're just going to have a bunch of failed attempts that are kind of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I listened to him on um, Art of Wrestling this past week. He just seems like happy in general, just to be like wrestling. So yeah, he's, he probably, got, he's probably fine. Got out of that WWE machine. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has a really nice wife, too. That makes him happy, too. <laughs> yeah. Jenny's favorite part of Sean Spears. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, the, the last thing I will say is Orange Cassidy was here, so of course he had to have a moment. But it was really a kind of a fun thing where he got into the ring to face Spears. Spears gets dragged out by Trent, and so Orange is in the ring by himself, and then Tully steps up. And he just stares Orange down with, like, the meanest old man look I've ever seen. So Orange puts his hands over his head and, and then puts him in his pockets. And Tully looks dead-eye, stares him, and does the same thing. Tully did so, the pocket spot? Yep. But oh, he with like good. With, like, a death stare. It was great. And so <laughs> Orange was like, whatever. And he does his flurry of kicks. And he was going to do a super kick because Tully was not moving. But Sean Spears got him. So it was a fun Orange Cassidy moment. And the match closed after the pin with um, the best friends. Once they they got their win, they went over and gave Colin a show of sportsmanship because obviously they are best friends. And they raised his Orange Cassidy raised his hand up, as, and then they all did the group hug with him in like Orange in the middle and Colin participating. So it was really just a fun end to the a very light fun match. That's awesome. Okay, Stan, I, I might I might eventually watch that. I recommend it if you have time to go back because it was quick, but also just a fun little character moment. Good, good, good. Well, that takes us to Dynamite. And uh, Megan, you want to get us started on that? Yes, I will do that. This week, we're at the Von Braun Center in Huntsville, Alabama. That's a cool name. It is. It's fun to say. Yeah. We open the show with John Moxley facing off against Ortiz, who is accompanied by Santana. And John Moxley gets the win. He does his paradigm shift. But some stuff happens post-match that's pretty important. And also during the match, Jericho and Sammy join the commentary team, and Jake Hager kind of skulks around nearby in the background, because of course he doesn't talk. Jericho imparted important life lessons to Sammy, like don't trust anybody. Yeah. Uh, to which Sammy said, I'm going to write that down. 
It's very important and uh, cryptic and detailed, so you definitely need to write it down to remember. Mm-hmm. Does that mean he shouldn't trust Jericho? I mean, I mean Jericho's someone. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible that that could come back around to uh, to bite Jericho in the ass, honestly. It's the classic son overthrowing the father storyline. Yeah. One day. I mean, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to be a spoiler, but Fozzie does have a tour, like, this summer. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Yeah. So he's going to be gone for some amount of time. When When's the tour start? How long is it? Do, do they play on Wednesdays? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about these things. I just know that he has a tour, um, that he has a tour this, uh, this year. Interesting. Because they don't necessarily have to take the belt off him. He could be a champion that just refuses to defend himself let me look i'm, I'm gonna look I'm, I'm actually gonna look at fuzzyrock.com at their tour and yeah actually you know what they start april 17th oh wow that's soon when's the double or nothing pay-per-view double or nothing or all out whatever's double or nothing is the more memorial day one yes so that'll be after the tour the tour goes from april 17th to may 9th oh that's just that's quick yeah but like that's really quick that's, that's the build-up, though. Yeah, like I, I that that tells me that there's a better that gives I think that gives Moxley a better shot at winning this month. Yeah, I agree. None of these dates are on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you think he's going to show up hella hungover? Maybe. Yeah, he he. I bet I bet he booked this whole tour so there's no Wednesdays. Yeah. Wow, that's he's smart. a professional man. He is. He is a professional man. And it's not like he has to wrestle leading up to the pay-per-view. He just needs to be there to do promos. It's true. It's not like it'll be like physically tasking. Right. And none of it's none of them are overseas. Hmm. So then he can theoretically get anywhere. Yeah. Well anyway, uh, as for the match itself, I thought it was like really, really good. Ortiz had his had his afro picked back out, which I appreciated. Ah, I think that's a cool look. Yeah. Do you think he'll he'll get into the hair beaties this year? Oh, he, I'm sure he will. If he keeps changing it up, he sure will. Yeah, no, he's definitely he's like especially because I think Janela has kind of like taken a step back. He is. His hair looked terrible this week. Yeah, it's he took out his dreads and then he didn't wash it. Jericho describes uh, described Ortiz as a cigarette machine with a head on it. What? What does that mean? I think it was about that, his build. That was super weird. <laughs> That he's like a box? Yeah. What? I just thought it was weird because, like, are there even cigarette machines anymore? I don't think so. At least not around here because most places are no public smoking anymore, right? Yeah. Maybe in some Canadian seedy back alley bars. Yeah, who knows where Jericho's hanging out. It was just funny because I was like, is he commenting on how much of a sleazebag he is? Because a cigarette machine seems like a very specific type of box. Yeah, that, it's a sleaze box. Sounds like it. I was just thinking about when I was watching this match and I was enjoying it so much and just how much I enjoy Ortiz in general. I was thinking about how when they debuted and they took those like masks off and like nobody in the crowd or like some people knew who they were, but most people didn't know who they were. We didn't know who they were. Like I had heard of them, but I had never seen them before. And I don't know. Like now I really think that those two are awesome. And it just goes to show you that if you have good, like, you know, if you're good and you have good creative supporting you, then you're going to, you can get over even when you start from zero. 
Because so many of the people in this company basically started from zero with the audience. I agree. I really like Ortiz especially. I think his tiger style, the scratching and then the the stance he does is really fun. (laughs) And um, his, I don't know what the move is called, but where he basically dead drops head first. It's like the opposite of the coffin drop. But yeah, he he, tur- he turns into a plank of wood and just like and like lands on the person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he commits to it and and like remains that way for pins sometimes too. Yeah, it's just fun. Yeah, it is. He's great, but uh, he. Uh, what is that move called? I I, I don't like a spl- just a splash. I guess it's not called like a cigarette fox splash. I don't, I don't think so. Maybe it will be after this week. You stuck your arm into the cigarette machine trying to steal, and it fell on top of you. <laughs> <laughs> the, actually, a lot of people die. Not a lot. <laughs> I know we we shouldn't. A few joke people die every time. year from vending machine accidents. <laughs> More people die of that than being attacked by wolves. Yeah, what? these are all super Is that real? specific. <laughs> Where'd you learn that? West Wing. Oh well, it might not be true anymore. It was a long time ago. <sighs> wow. Okay. So Nick Offerman's trying to get a uh, a wolf sanctuary path like approved or a yes. walkway. Okay, yeah, that's a good episode. It is. It's one of their better episodes. Yeah. My uh, other fun fact. These are my two party facts. If you ever meet me at a party, I will tell you. Them. Well, now it's going to be real disappointing. <laughs> it's more probable for you to die in a car accident on your way to buy the lottery ticket than it is to win the lottery. That's very believable. Yes. And that's why I do not play the lottery. Bleak outlook. I don't think it's cause and effect, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess if you're not going out of your way to buy a lottery ticket, it's okay. But if you want specifically to, to get a lottery ticket, don't do it. Yeah, no, I thought the match was good though. (laughs) Moxley, you know, they're they're giving him something interesting to do every week. Like I like that these matches all have purpose too. It's not like just I'm going to go through the inner circle. It's like it's like he's he's setting up personal issues with everyone. Yeah, Ortiz's Chiron specifically said that he led last week's inner circle attack on John Moxley, which I think is a stretch. He just happened to be the first one to walk down the the aisle there, but sure, mm-hmm. works. After John Moxley got his win, he stares down Jericho, who is still up by the commentary team. And while he's doing this, Santana gets in a cheap hit and he goes to beat him up. But Moxley paradigm shifts him and takes care of him pretty quickly. And then he reveals that he still has the car keys from the car he stole weeks ago. And presumably, I guess, is driving around for fun. But he takes these keys and he shows them to Jericho and he makes a big, big deal about putting them between his fingers. And then he just, he stabs Santana in the eye with them in a manner that was even safer than Jericho's. So Santana's eye is believed to be gone, I guess, because uh, the car key went through it. And the inner circle run down to save their boy, but they're they're too late. They can't prevent this from happening. Moxley retreats into the crowd and he turns around and he shrugs in a, well, me sort of way. Very Peter Dune-ish of him. But uh, yeah, he does that and then he just walks away because that's all he came here to do. Eye for an eye. Yeah, it was good. 
Yeah, I liked it. I hope he drove away in that fancy car. Did you notice that at the end there, he was standing in front of a sign that says, no standing, please be seated? No, he was He's a badass. He's That's too how dangerous. You know. to, he's too dangerous to follow rules. That's how you know. Yeah. Next up, we have the best friends versus SCU. And SCU gets the win when Kaz pins Trent with a Yoshi tonic. Um, yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if I got the name of that right, but like, I'm glad. Like the baby dinosaur? Yeah. Aww. That is cute. <laughs> I That's just really kept cute. thinking Yoshi Tatsu when I said it. Yeah, with the Yoshi Tatsu. <laughs> yeah. So Daniels is not ringside for this particular match, which is significant after the fact. But we can get to that. What do you think of the match? I thought it was good. I you remember last week we talked about how they you know they gave SCU like a rehab match and then to get you know to remind you like okay yeah these guys lost the tag team titles but they're getting a win here because they are they are still a very dangerous team and one of the best teams in the company. Yeah. So this was just kind of like another step on that path, and we learned later that the reason they did this is because next week. Uh, they are getting their tag team title rematch against Mega Hung. Oh wow! Yeah. Go Mega Hung. Yeah, but so, so that you know that that makes sense now that they have, you know, they've wrestled the last two weeks and gotten wins over established teams and to build them back up. to build them back up into the rankings. Yeah, I did. I liked the story of the match where best friends pretty much had it won, but they had to hug, and then that ruined everything. They always have to hug, though. Yeah, I know, but. Hugs normally ruin everything. It's, it screwed them over this time. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. I think shortly after they attempted that hug, is that where everybody ended up splayed out on the outside of the ring? And then Orch Cassidy, seeing this, just walked over and laid down in the middle of them so that he could be part of it? Yeah, solidarity. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was cute. So after this match... We get one of those classic Dark Order beatdowns that everybody's super excited about. Ugh. Yeah. Well, the announcers make the point that last week the Dark Order did warn Christopher Daniels that they would be coming for him and his loved ones. So Cass and Scorpio, amongst his best friends, of course, they're going to get beat up. And best friends, I think, are just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's collateral damage. Yeah. So the Dark Order ends up clearing out the ring at one point, but they don't notice that Orange Cassidy has sort of quietly snuck up behind them. And Evil Uno, as is his way, offers Orange Cassidy a Dark Order hood and so, you know says, like, you can join the fray, dude. Come, come to our side. Orange Cassidy acts like he's going to accept it. He reaches out both hands in kind of a weird way, and then he lifts them above his head and shoves him right back into his pockets right at evil uno so that pisses him off and the dark order beats up orange cassidy until finally christopher daniels runs out to make the save and he signals for the dark order to come get him he's ready to do this thing right now but they just leave so they're not they are apparently not ready to do this right now but they are still angry at christopher daniels yeah um yeah dark order i don't know yeah <laughs> I hope I hope that we I I, I, I don't know I just uh, I want it to go somewhere soon. I want it to go away. I just contrasting this with what comes later on, it bothers me how good some stuff is versus how bad the rest of it is. 
oh, how good, like, everything that's, like, not in the arena is. Yes. Versus how bad everything that's in the arena is. The background story, the production, everything about when they're not wrestling is great. It has me hooked. I love it. When yeah. they come out and do their their group beatdowns, it's just, why? Because then it's just a bunch of guys in goofy costumes, you know? Yeah. I really wish they could connect the dots on those two separate parts and make it work as a whole. I think that you need to also get it to be um, one of the triangle schemes. So you get money involved and then you can start like fake cutting off the people's fingers when they can't pay it. Whoa. I'm so, I don't care. I want all of it to go away. I hate all of it, (laughs) but that's the only way you can connect violence with multi-level marketing. Yeah. I think you got to get money involved. (laughs) Because wrestling, you're not, there's no way to connect this to wrestling, but you could connect it to violence. Next up, we have a video package uh, that revolves around MJF and Cody and their long standing issues. Um, MJF is backstage with Lexi Nair, and he's building up the anticipation to the 10 lashes by basically cutting a promo. It looks like they were mid interview and he had taken the mic. And then. After that segment, we get Taz weighing in on it, and he says it'll be difficult to watch, but Cody going through it validates how much he wants to get his hands on MJF at Revolution, so it's important. Was there any weird, supposed awkwardness from the sexual encounter between MJF and Lexinaire? No. Because it didn't fucking happen. Are you saying that because he wore his shirt that you... Think he's claiming it to be gospel truth that he banged her? Yeah, I mean, he wore a shirt that said it. He's a liar. <laughs> okay. If it's on a shirt, much like on the internet, it must be true. Exactly. Well, we'll wrap back around to MJF and Cody later on in the show. But for now, we go to the next match, which is Britt Baker versus Yuka Sakazaki, the magical girl. Hell yeah, magical girl. Hell yeah, indeed. Uh, in a surprising, for me anyway, twist, Yuka wins. She gets the crucifix on Britt Baker, but that is possibly the happiest point in the match for her because it all goes downhill after that. It was about time we had a three and a half minute long Britt Baker match. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Big upset, too, I would say. I thought so, but then I guess... The stuff that happens after puts it into perspective. But in the moment, I was not expecting that to happen. Yeah, she wouldn't have a reason to do what she does next if she had won, I guess. Yeah. And what we're dancing around is that after the match, Britt gets pretty upset. Initially, when she went to the outside, I thought she was going to pull a Jericho-level tantrum. (laughs) But instead, all she does is pick up the bell and... She brings it into the ring, and then poor Yuka, she's celebrating, and she gets clocked right in the back of the head with that bell. And, and the so, bell is on a pretty thick piece of wood with corners. Yeah, it's hefty. Like, it's not something you want to get hit with, especially on the head. It's like 250-pound stairs. <laughs> yeah, except it's not so obviously hollow. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> poor Yuka, she gets hit with this bell she's apparent like probably out of it 
because of that. And Britt forces her to put the bottom rope in her mouth so that she can then kick her in the back of the head and kind of force her to clamp down on it. And we get a close-up of Yuka and see that this has caused her to have a bloody mouth and also one of her tooth or also one of her teeth has fallen out and she it's it's very uh close up you see the tooth she lays it on the mat it's pretty gross and so with that state Britt grabs her and forces the lockjaw on her bloody mouth and all so she really Britt was being really mean this time around my nephew lost his first first tooth this week and i hope no one on the playground made him clamp his teeth onto ball sweaty ropes in order for it to happen. I figured you were going to be extra disturbed by the fact that that rope was full of balls. Full of balls. Yeah, they wipe the ropes down, guys. Not between matches. Yeah, they do. Not between every match. Yeah, you do. No. Yes. No. Yes. Uh, Can you ever really get the ball sweat off, though? I don't know. I just know that when I go to a live wrestling show, they they have a, a ring a ring boy or girl like run around and wipe did, down the ropes between every match. Did they do it when you went to the AEW show? Yeah. Do we know what type of sanitizer they use, no. or is it just a dirty, sweaty rag that's just getting the ball sweat across all of the ropes evenly? You're probably right. That's probably what's happening. It, well, it's probably just to wipe them down so they're not wet. It's probably not sanitizing it because if they were sanitizing it, they would make it wet, which would defeat the purpose of wiping it down. I see. Okay. I'm just saying there's ball sweat all over those ropes. I thought the curb stomp angle was cool. I did too, but I thought I was not expecting the tooth to come out. Me neither, but like, I'm glad it did. It was neat. Do you think Britt brought that from her doctor office? Maybe. You could kind of see, um, like, right after it happened, Aubrey Edwards is over by Yuka Sakazaki, and then the camera cuts away. I, th- I don't think they were supposed to catch her by her, because I'm guessing she was passing her the tooth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering if that was, like, a plastic tooth, or if it was just a real tooth real deal. that Britt took from the office. I'm going to go with it was a real tooth. It looked real-ish. It really did. Yeah. Um, and she has access to the teeth. Yeah. Do you think dentists just hoard all the teeth they pull? Yeah, they make necklaces of them. <laughs> Britt's got like a creepy shrine in that giant house with Adam Cole. <laughs> She's just hoarding all the teeth she pulls. When they go on dentist retreats where it's just like an island full of dentists, they use them for currency. <laughs> <laughs> wow, things really break down when they go on dental retreats. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope she got it back then so that she didn't lose out on any retreat currency for later. Oh, Trade that for a pack of smokes. <laughs> On the cigarette machine. Yeah. Just, just pop it into Ortiz's body and make a cigarette come out. Next up, we have the Butcher and the Blade, accompanied by the Bunny, as per usual, teaming up with the Lucha Brothers to face the Elite, which in this specific scenario is Adam Kenny and the Young Bucks. So, the Butcher and the Blade. And Lucha Brothers get the win. Um, Pentagon Jr. specifically gets to pin Adam Page, which is rough. Sandman's fault. Um, well, I can't wait to hear Jenny, who no doubt has watched a different version of this match than either <laughs> of us. <laughs> but I have my own set of Hangman notes, and I can't wait to hear the, how they clash with hers. 
I want to say first off that this match was incredible. It was 13 minutes of just like nonstop action. I loved it so much. It was a real blast. I really liked it when the the butcher of all people was in there with Kenny because I thought they worked really well together. And uh, and also the hangman uh, hit the butcher with a fallaway slam that was very impressive. But amazingly enough, this is only my third favorite thing on this show. So Ooh. so this is a tease because the rest are coming later. But I thought this match ruled. The only fault I had to find with this match was that Adam had over wetted his hair and you couldn't see any curl. It's like when my husband get his ha- gets his hair cut and he gets it cut too short and he has no curl left. Mm. That's too sad. Yeah, that's Adam's greatest crime of this whole match. <laughs> Overwetting his hair. <laughs> the entrances for this match where like they played the super kick party song, which the longer it goes, the more you realize that like, it's not a very good song. <laughs> oh, don't talk about Papa Buck like that. <laughs> like the beginning is like the B elite. That that part's good. But then once you get into the song song part. Well, like, super kick party. That's pretty fun. Okay. Super kick. But And then it should just end. Yeah. But then it just kind of loops because there's yeah. not much to it. Yeah. But anyway, so, like, Hangman comes out first. And he just looks annoyed. And you're, like, wondering, like, why is he out? And why is he coming out to this music? And then the other three, the, you know, the Elite, the original Elite, come out. And the Chiron for the Elite says, Hangman is not happy about this musical choice. Yep. I loved it. <laughs> that was pretty great. I wouldn't be either. It's not a very good song. Yeah. And, you know, it begins. You it overruled. They, they should have picked a neutral song. Yeah. Because the song for that is the theme to the Being the Elite show doesn't seem appropriate for the Elite. I definitely prefer the Travel Long song. So maybe that's what Adam had voted for and he got shot down. And he's like, this one's really bad. Why can't we do the Travel Log one? Warriors Cry? Yeah. yeah. Warriors Cry's great. That feels very cowboy-y. I get, he could have gotten behind a Warriors Cry. Maybe. Well, he shouldn't have had a boo-boo face on when he walked down the ramp. Maybe he didn't have his boo-boo bear. Maybe he got a little... little in the in the vote, maybe someone punched him. Well, now I'm going to have to keep the Boo Boo Bear story in. Just cut it all. <laughs> the look you gave me when I brought up your Boo Boo Bear was <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm telling family secrets or something. You kind of are. I saw somebody on Twitter this week, and I, for- I forget who it was, but it was, uh, she said, uh, she said, I like that AEW gives you narrative points in the Chirons for those of us who don't watch every week. <laughs> it is really fun. I, I think <laughs> by and large for this show, they were dry, informative, which is totally fine. You know, talking about wins and losses and how yeah. long, I think Jericho said how long he had held the title, but I do like when they slip in these jokey ones. And it's usually for Hangman. Yeah. Cause he's yeah. the best. Yeah. Makes you wonder who writes them. <sighs> so Jenny, before we argue, um, <laughs> I did want to say some highlights of this match for me uh, were a lot around Ray Phoenix because he continues to be awesome and do things I can't even like understand how he doesn't die. But uh, I thought Matt's uh, series of Northern Might suplexes looked extra good with Ray Phoenix being the one to take them. Um, and it was also cool when he got both Pentagon and Phoenix over for one of them. And I really liked how technically the match broke down, but what they did was give each team 
time to have a segment for each team member to do a cool thing. So I thought that was like a fun little part and the ref let it happen. So it was all, all good. But um, on to Adam. Jenny, we need to talk about Adam. So I, Adam made an error in judgment okay. at the end. Okay. He thought that he had it, even though he had been hurt and he didn't have it. So he, he did didn't. A, he did a dive and he hurt his knee. Yep. And then instead of tagging Matternick in, which Matt was giving him quite a look, let's be honest. Because Kenny was out down the floor. He was. He would have willingly tagged yeah. in Kenny. He was fine with working with Kenny, but he was yeah. not fine with working with the Bucks. Well, I mean, Matt gives off really terrible energy. <laughs> and so, so what I will say is that he made a poor error in judgment and he should have tagged in the Bucks, but. He thought, okay, I got it. I can still do this. I'm still strong enough to do this. And he wasn't. He he had hurt his knee, and then he got pinned. And it, and it was an error. He, he should hold himself accountable for, for making that misjudgment. So I want to put some context around what you just said, the scenario you just described, because I feel like it fills in some of the blanks that you left out. So he hurt his knee. He hurt his knee, but he tags himself in when the Bucks are setting up the super kick, hyping up for super kick party on, I believe it was the butcher. And so he tags himself in and that's why Matt looks miffed because they were planning a team move and hangman broke it up. And then not only that, he followed it up by failing to connect with his buckshot lariat attempt. So he not only stopped the super kick party from happening, but then he screwed up. So I would argue his teammates have a right to be kind of upset about that. And then he follows up by refusing to tag in either Young Buck, who are readily available, just because Kenny has been pulled off the ringside. So I know you like working with Kenny, but this is a team event. You I mean the Bucks aren't mega hung. <laughs> I don't know about their personal lives, but sure. Sure. Uh, he should have tagged one of them in. Even if he doesn't like Matt, he should have tagged in Nick. And you like Nick, so you cannot disagree with me on this. No, I do. I do like Nick. Yeah. So and I Nick think... is not giving off weird energy. Okay. <laughs> Matt's weird energy amuses me. So I'm going to go with that's my positive spin on, on your take on Matt. You don't, no one thinks Matt's giving off weird energy in these last, like, few. I think Matt is going to turn heel. I don't know that Matt is giving off weird energy. Um, I, I think it's more so that Matt is the most outwardly annoyed by Hangman and his antics. Well, maybe Matt should have more patience with his friends. <laughs> I'm going to agree with Andy. He doesn't have weird energy. He has energy that is completely normal in this scenario. Nick Nick is like a little more laid back, and then and Kenny's just trying to like keep everything together. That's what I think the dynamic is. I think differently. I think, uh, now here's what's great about this. We all have like different kind of ways of looking at it, or at least Megan and I have a way of looking at it, and Jenny has a way of looking at it. But, yep. but I think what's great about it is that there are multiple ways to interpret it, and I think it's it continues to be week by week the best thing going in the company. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so entertaining, and I I do hope they continue to stretch it out a little because 
the interactions are fun to watch. They're not going to turn Adam. There's no way they're going to turn Adam. I think it might be a mistake. Yes. I hope they don't do it. If they don't turn him, though, where does he go? Do we just get him eventually coming to terms with, like, his his current state and then working to get back at the group? Yeah, I mean, I think you let Matt have less weird energy with him and be more embracing of him. And then, you, you know, you maybe young, have him drink a little bit less. You could turn the young bucks. It might be hard. But... I think you're – that's what I think is going to happen. And let's get to the – Let's finish up this, and then we can talk about why I think the Bucks are turning. Okay. So after the match, there is an argument between the Elite. And Kenny ultimately has to be the one to step in and break up the Bucks and Adam. So that is just kind of more of the same story. Kenny the Peacemaker and Adam and the Bucks having issues but that's where we leave this match however the next segment is tony coming down to the ring to interview kenny specifically and before he can even launch into any questions pack interrupts from the the big screen and he is backstage where he's basically pulling double duty and has also interrupted an interview between lexi nair and riho And he's basically here to say that Kenny didn't give a shit about Michael Nakazawa. So to get his attention, maybe he'll need to go after Riho. And at this point, Kenny stops him. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do anything, you know, intense here. I'll give you your stupid match. Just chill out. And Pac is very happy about this. But then he also corrects him and says he would never put his hands on a woman He's a bastard, not a beast. And he pauses and then goes, but she is. And that's when Nyla Rose comes out from the backstage area and attacks Riho. And this results in them having a a match for the women's title next week. Also resulted in Riho not going through a table because I don't think she's big enough. (laughs) Oh, she bounces right off it. Yeah, it looked like it sucked. That poor girl. She was just standing, she wasn't tied up or anything. She was just standing there the whole time Pac was talking. I just kept thinking, like, you just walk away. Like <laughs> She was swimming in the elite sweatshirt that Megan has. It's true. Yeah. Swimming she, in it. Yeah. She should have just kicked Pac in the balls and been like, yeah. I'm not part of this <laughs> later. Yeah. yeah, or with your, when they teach you in self-defense class that, you know, you take your the palm of your hand and you just thrust it up and break his nose. Yeah. Yeah. Or you scream, well, I don't know you. That's my purse. <laughs> <laughs> I um I really thought that when Pac had said, You really think I'm gonna hit a woman? I thought he was gonna call Kenny out for hitting Penelope, and I thought they were gonna finally bring a dark match into dynamite. I actually did too. That would have been the time for it. Yeah, I thought that's what the reference was gonna be. I was excited, but no. It's still on its own little island. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you said, they use this to set up uh, a couple of things. So so we go from there to what the announcers say is a film Darby Allen himself has created and delivered to them to be shown. And this is like Darby Allen's short indie film about his current feelings. <laughs> it shows him out in a 
kind of a field setup. There's like a fence in the background. Uh, it looks remote. It's dark. And he has somehow gotten his hands on a flamethrower. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know where you buy one of those, but he has one. And anyone think, has a flamethrower, it's Darby. Do you think Tony Khan like got one from Elon Musk or something? Yeah, probably. I think Elon Musk was actually distributing some of them. Yeah. It's dangerous. He should not do that. But uh Wait, he has what are you guys talking about? Elon Musk was like is is or was selling flamethrowers? Yeah. Through what? I don't His know. Company. The Tesla website. I don't, Wait, I don't know. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, what he was just talking about. I feel like it was like kind of um so Elon Musk makes the the Tesla cars, you know, the electric yeah. cars and stuff. I think I know Elon some, Musk is I know his company, but what the fuck do flamethrowers? I think at it? some point as like just a side thing for funsies, he made a flamethrower and then also sold that flamethrower. And I don't know if there was any regulation around who could buy it, but <laughs> it was available. No, I am I am at the website for it and you can just you could just I can just put it in my cart. <laughs> what? You can just own a flamethrower? Please don't. And I can finance it for $200 a month. How much is it? $3,200. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Jesus. It says it's napalm compatible. What? <laughs> yeah. As opposed what? to what else? <laughs> oh, includes a, th- a free t-shirt. What does the t-shirt say? Throw Flame, which is the brand of it. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Darby. Darby has one. Darby has one. And he used to have a cardboard cutout of uh, Le Champion and the Spanish God, but not anymore. Well, that you could buy off of Pro Wrestling Tees. For much Is that true? Cheaper. Yeah. They sell that stand-up? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> they have to. I mean, come on. Yeah, he I... goes full Rick Dalton on this thing. Who's Rick Dalton? Damn. Is, is he any relation to Timothy Dalton, my favorite Bond? No. I mean, I think he wishes he was. She, hasn't, care- she hasn't watched the movie yet. Yeah, it's a character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, okay. This is what that reminded me of. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Darby's independent film is just him flamethrowing the shit out of this uh, Jericho Sammy stand-up. I think it means he wants to be their best friend. That's what I would interpret it as. But I love this because, you know, he couldn't talk because of the skateboard to the throat. So he had to, he had to communicate in this way. Through flames. Through flames. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. It oh, was wow, kind wow. of it was kind of a fun little diversion. Mm-hmm. It got its point across and it was like, you know, it was like 90 seconds. It was very effective. Yeah. We go from there back to the ring and Kip Sabian is up against Joey Janela. I think we all know their their whole background and issues. Uh Kip gets the win this time around. My favorite part about this uh match was uh, a fan who had a sign at ringside uh, that said, Aki, make a new wrestling game. I hope they do. <laughs> it's a good thing to take from this. Yeah, they made the Nintendo 64 wrestling games. Mm. Now, were they good ones? Because I know wrestling game quality is... It yeah, tends they to made, be bad. They made, like, WrestleMania 2000, the one they used for the PAX Rumble. Okay. Um, I don't know that there's, like, a a ton to say about this match. Um, Penelope was there, and at the end of it, 
Joey Janela accidentally knocks her off the ring apron and she appears to injure her ankle and has to be like sort of helped out of the area by Kip. So don't know if that'll come up later, but it mm-hmm. happened. Yeah, match was fine. Yeah. Didn't have a lot of heat for something that had been, you know, actually like built up for a few weeks. I was a little bit surprised by that. I feel like maybe maybe to some extent uh, Kip Sabian's not really connecting. Maybe. Really? That's what, that's what it feels like to me. Certainly is. More than Kip, yeah. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I feel like she's bringing him up. I feel like Kip's very good at being, like, a shitty little boy, basically. Like, he do, he's doing his character well. Yeah, yeah. I just, how, maybe it's just me, but, like, how interested do you think people are in a standard, you stole my girl, now we're fighting thing? Maybe not. Maybe this, fan, maybe this is the wrong fan base for that kind of angle. Yeah, because I know personally, like, I really do not care. I agree. I don't care. Uh, I did write down that at one point Excalibur said, Kip Sabian, he possesses those educated feetsies. And I was like, Excalibur, we've never been on the same page as much as you using the word feetsies. I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> and I think JR called him out for it. No, I think it was Tony. He said, did you say feetsies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Excalibur was like, hell yeah, I did. Yeah. I think JR said, did you write something down that JR said that was pretty weird? I might have. I oftentimes do. Uh, let me let me check my notes. Um, I didn't, but I tuned stuff out at this point. No, it looks like I don't have a I don't have a JR note this week. No, okay. I'm sure he said I, something weird. I thought I had asked you to write something down. Uh, I might. Yeah. I must be wrong. I usually do when you tell me to. I would fully believe he said something weird about Penelope. Yep. That's what I thought. Oh, he said. I just noticed she has blue eyes. Like halfway through the match. Yeah, that was so awkward. <laughs> what was that? Oh, I, I think it was, like, because I've been staring at her tits the whole time. Yeah. Oh. Bleh. Yeah. Yeah. Or or her ass, like yeah. those other fans. God damn it. What the <laughs> hell, man? What He's the a hell? gross old man. I mean, I didn't even know that women had eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you get to the neck, what's the point? Right. Good God. This is why I don't feel bad objectifying men. Because I would never say <laughs> these things. I would never say these things. Certainly not to a like a live cable TV audience <laughs> exactly. of upwards of a million people. God. Yeah. Sweet Jesus. Okay. Maybe one week he'll talk about Scorpio's ass. We don't know. Balance it out. But I Could doubt be. it's going to happen. Oh my gosh, did we talk about Scorpio's thighs last week when he posted that Instagram post? Oh yeah. my goodness, they yeah, were we so strong. It. Didn't make the final cut. Just take all this out. <laughs> <laughs> God, that is, ups- I hate it. Okay. Okay. Well, it's, uh, I guess, telling that that's the most we took out of that match. <laughs> I feel like yeah. it really didn't need need much uh from there we go to something way more interesting and that is a backstage interview briefly with alex marvez but mostly just jericho and yeah i don't even think marvez said a word 
you just oh. see Jericho pushing him away as he takes the mic. You barely can, like, if he hadn't said Marvez, I don't know that I would have, like, known who it was. He's out of the frame so fast. Yeah. Yeah, well, he doesn't need to be there. Uh, Jericho can handle this. He he goes off on Moxley, and in a beautiful, beautiful heel move, he says, what kind of piece of trash takes a spike and puts it in another man's eye? <laughs> oh, my God, I loved... Like, his... But, oh, his complete and utter lack of self-awareness <laughs> and hypocrisy is just... Oh, he's perfection. Yeah. And I know he would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would question why you need to even, like, specify it, of course. <laughs> yeah, he's, I just, I love his, like, self-righteousness about that. Yeah, he was fired up. But another man was more fired up, and that was mm-hmm. Santana, who had the eye injury. And they've added some nice blood, to to the patch they put on his eye. He says he's had the worst month of his life. Don't know what that's in reference to. Yeah, I don't know either. But he's feeling bad. And uh, and now this happens. This eye thing. So he's coming for Moxley next week. He was really impassioned in his, uh, like, his just, like, coming at Moxley. So I guess this month really was bad because he has some stuff he needs to get out of his system. And he's going to fight Moxley and, I guess, probably be pretty violent. He This was such a good promo. I didn't know that he had this in them, but, like... They have so many people who can cut good promos in this company. It's ridiculous. I think as part of the inner circle, these guys, like he and Ortiz, don't necessarily get much time to be, and Sammy, to, like, independent and do the promos. So it was kind of a refreshing change of pace. Yeah. It just makes you wonder, like, how many people in WWE would be much better promos if the if you know, if he took the training wheels off. I mean, God forbid you don't say something that's written out in the script. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is really good. I liked, I was really impressed with them. It yeah. I'm excited about the, the eye for an eye match next week. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I think they're going to blind Moxley fully. Oh, man. I, well, I think, what, they're both going to wear blindfolds and then... <laughs> oh, you could... They're just going to circle each other for like 15 minutes because they can't get the perspective right. (laughs) That would actually be pretty funny. I guess we'll see because the implication is he has a match next week. I don't remember if it was officially announced, but. Are you about to talk about one of the greatest things that's ever happened on a wrestling show? Yes, I am. Okay. (laughs) And you'd be, I guess, surprised to hear it comes from the Dark Order. Oh, no. Okay. Oh. There's what show some... did you watch, Megan? I mean, this was pretty great, but, like, no, I was talking about something else. Okay, go ahead. Are you... Well, I think I know what you're talking about because it comes after. Yeah, okay. Sorry. I really... Maybe not the best thing ever, but I loved this Dark Order, like, video because it was so well done that I legitimately thought it was a commercial. I almost te- fast-forwarded through it until I yeah. saw the guy. I told you when it first started, I said, this is a Dark Order commercial. That was the second time when we were watching with Dave. Oh, okay. So on yeah. your first viewing? Yeah. Okay. Because I was watching on, on delay on Wednesday night. And I almost I started to fast forward and then I saw the Dark Order guy. I was like, oh. <laughs> I watched the like from their st- site streaming, knowing there's no commercials included, and I still thought 
oh no, they let one get in because <laughs> it had like a TNT logo at the top. Yeah. <laughs> well, how I knew was at the bottom it said none of these actors have ever taken whatever drug it was talking about. Yeah. They sometimes say that though. No, normally they say this this actors are are portraying this. This is an actor portrayal. Not none of these actors have ever taken this drug. I, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. That that was what I was thinking of, but it's true. It's not so specific. But yeah, um, we got we got the disclaimer text like that and scenes of what looks like a uh, an ad for standard medication of some kind that you have to talk to your doctor about. And then in the midst of this. The Dark Order guy is shown drinking at a, at a coffee shop, and you start to get those subtitles that say things like, the elite will fail, and the exalted one is coming. But other than that, it really does just kind of look like a, a medication ad. Mm-hmm. It's so well done. It was very good. See, I really, really like this stuff. I really wish they could make this work within the wrestling part of it. But how would you make it work, Megan? I don't know, because with the cult thing, I think I like the cult storylines because I think cults are interesting anyway. But, like, I think I remember Andy, it may have even been Justin who said it, back when Bray Wyatt was a thing and the Daniel Bryan thing was happening where he was trying to recruit him. Like, you can only portray it so far because what's the end game here? Is Bray Wyatt going to kill someone? Like that is the <laughs> only outcome and that is not something you can do. So yeah. it, it, they kind of write themselves into a corner, but I feel like the buildup is so interesting if you do, do it right that like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to solve this math problem to make the wrestling part work. I just wish somebody else would. Do we need Scott Steiner? <laughs> yeah. Get him in here. I think, like, a start might be using that actor as a performer in the arena. Because I think he's really good. And what would he yeah. do in the arena? I don't know. Let's like, solve this for them so that like, you guys see what you want. Cut promos instead of Evil Uno with his terrible delivery and his fake laughing. He's awful. Yeah. Yeah, the actor himself could stay at the top of the stage while the others actually engage in the wrestling part of it. Yeah. I really like that guy. I think he's good. He kind of reminds me of Archibald Peck, but I know, I know he's not. But... Yes! I thought that too. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I, I like him, and I think he's great and all that stuff. And, and they do a really good job producing them. But yeah, it's just, it is a it is a, a pickle to figure out how to reconcile the two aspects of the, the Dark Order. Maybe Matt Hardy can make it, uh, make it come together. Well, yeah. I, I do think that people would be so excited to see him that they're going to give him a lot more leeway than they are to Evil Uno and totally. Stu Grayson. Yeah. Plus, we got to get some drones up in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed, Megan. But, like, I, I mean, I think if you build goodwill with the fan base, they're going to give you a lot more leeway. Just like I love Adam Page, I'm going to give him a lot more leeway oh, than yeah. I normally would. <laughs> Speaking of. The best thing that's ever happened. Now we get to it, yes. Backstage, Lexi Nair is attempting to interview Adam Page. He has a beer in one hand. He has his tag team championship belt slung over the other shoulder. And he's talking to her when the Young Bucks enter the segment. And they are furious. 
Poor Lexi Nair had to attempt to do a lot of things tonight and didn't get to actually do any of them. <laughs> she didn't have to talk, so yeah, that might be good for yeah, her. That's good for her. Sorry, Lexi. I just, you know, you're new and your delivery is rough. Yep. <laughs> so the Bucks are mad, and at one point Nick even suggests that the Young Bucks will be taking the tag team championships from Adam and Kenny. No, he, he, he says, you're going to lose them. If you keep acting like this, you're going to lose them next week, which is a reference to the SCU match. Oh, okay. Maybe I got too specific. I jumped too far. But yeah, Adam was mad about it, the suggestion. Yeah. And Matt says he knows... Well, probably Nick- because, <laughs> I mean, Nick was referencing SCU, and he gave Nick and Matt their name tags so that they could win him next. Yeah, that's why he gave them to him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a passive-aggressive shot mm-hmm. at all. No. <sighs> it's weird. What kind of goggles are you watching this show with? <laughs> so Matt says he knows what Hagman's problem is. And he doesn't say it out loud, but he takes the beer from his hand. And he and Nick walk away. And Lexi Nair has long since disappeared as well. So the camera zooms in on Adam's perplexed face as if he doesn't understand what just happened. <laughs> And then he lifts his hand, which has been out of frame, and he has a pitcher of beer instead of the glass that they took away, and he just drinks from that and looks confused. And I I assume has to think about what the Young Bucks could be referring to. This was like a sketch from a comedy show, and it was perfect. It was wonderful. <laughs> it made absolutely no sense that he was able to pull a pitcher of beer out of nothing, but I'm so glad he did. And it was amazing. I mean, did we ever see his second hand in the initial shot? Yeah, he had it up on the belt. I guess that's true. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. It was up on the belt. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. So it didn't make any sense. (laughs) This was like a Being the Elite sketch. Yeah, this was some merch freak. And the crowd went insane. Yeah. I mean, you went for Beer Freak. Yeah. Plus, he needs beer to do cowboy shit, and that's what's important. Oh, my God. God, this was so good. And this is why I think the Bucks are turning. This because... is, I mean, this is why I think you cannot turn Adam Page because he's gotten too popular. Well, yes, totally agree with that. Yeah. He is. I remember when he started and like we thought he was going to be this big thing, and then the first couple episodes of Dynamite, there was hardly any reaction until they got him to Charleston, where it was more of a hometown crowd. Yeah. And then the next week, he said cowboy shit, so everyone got on board with him. Yeah. But. It, he's just, he, he has to be the most popular person on the roster now, even more so than Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy didn't get this reaction this week. Uh, no. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, it's, I mean, and he and Kenny are probably like both right up there as far as most popular and like, well, obviously Cody too, but like, but yeah, he's up there and I don't like, I hope that they, I just hope that they don't, go through with the original plan, whatever it was. You cannot turn him. He's yeah. too popular. Yeah. You're just going to piss off the fans if you turn him now. I think so too, yeah. I think they're good at pivoting when things like this happen. So I would trust them not to just they have, like they have push definitely ahead. Shown, they have definitely shown like a, a really good ability to pivot. Not in all cases. In a lot of cases. Yeah, but not in all. Think about, like, I mean, it takes a while to pivot, I'm just saying. Like, the Nightmare Collective. Yeah, but this has been going on for long enough that they have to know, you know? Yeah, I hope so. I hope they don't turn him. This is I mean, also... they just released the Kenny and Hangman shirt, so... 
Oh. Does it say Mega Hung on it? No, it just says Kenny and Hangman. Ugh, why won't they use our name? I don't know. Might not be able to get it past uh, censors. You get Hangman past censors, but not Mega Hung? Yeah. This was this was so good though. Like uh, uh, Brian Alvarez uh, said on his podcast that it was like that classic WWE pull it like uh, push in shot where they linger too long on someone's face and it gets awkward. Except it ended with like the best payoff of all time. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what it's like. Oh, it was perfection. But I think if the Bucks are going after his alcohol. They're going to turn the Bucks heel. I mean, the, there was a big, oh, and uh, yeah. when that snatched away the the, yeah. the beer. Yeah. And I know the, the Bucks are teetotalers, but, like, I don't know. I, <laughs> Let's, we should probably tread lightly on, like, making helping your friend who has alcoholism a heel move. I'm not saying Adam's an alcoholic, but, you know, like, interventions are a thing. Yeah, no, no, they, they they certainly are. You just have to watch out for your friends with weird energy. Can't trust them. You cannot. <laughs> okay, so we start with a video from Dustin Rhodes talking about his take on his brother Cody getting 10 lashes. And he agrees with Taz basically and says, it's going to be uncomfortable to watch, but Cody is a lot tougher than MJF thinks. And from there we go into the ring. MJF and Cody are going to do this damn thing, I guess. Cody has dressed in the nicest way possible for someone who is just going to have to, like, disrobe and be hit with a belt. He's, like, to the nines, full-on suit, looking very snazzy. And he immediately removes his top coat and uh, vest and dress shirt. And then throws the dress shirt in the crowd. It is still not listed on eBay, as far as I can tell. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so, or maybe so, it sold that quickly. Yeah, or so so yeah. So either that, or maybe somebody. Did you refill without your <laughs> knowledge? No, not recently. Okay, that's pretty full glass. Mm. Keep <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Because I don't have picture-in-picture commercials, if that was a thing. But the way my cut was is Cody was walking down the aisle looking very dapper. Go to commercial. When we come back, it is like a strip show. He is just pulling off his shirt. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, what is <laughs> happening? Right? Is that, is that the strip show music? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never been to a strip show. Has anyone here been to a strip show? Yes. Mm, no. Yes, I went to a male strip club. Okay. Yes. Nice. The most I've seen is Mr. Darcy take off his top coat and and then emerge from a pond. (laughs) Yes. See-through in his white shirt. I saw a man man wrap his penis around a pole. What? No. Ew. What? No. Ew. And I saw another young man with... um, a Prince Albert piercing in the head of his penis that was glow in the dark. Wait, why do they call it Prince Albert? I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Which one's Prince Albert? Is that one of Queen Elizabeth's sons? No, it's Victoria's husband. That no, no. Victoria's <laughs> husband was a wonderful man. Well, sure, but like 
Why would they call it that? Having a piercing doesn't necessarily mean you're not. <laughs> he did not have a piercing. He was like super strict and conservative. He would not have pierced his penis. And he was very scientific. He would have known that that was very dangerous to do. Well, let me see if I can find the... Please don't Google it. I was going to say, I want to Google it, but I don't want to no, Google it. No one wants to see those <laughs> images. The origin of this piercing is unknown. Uh, in modern times, the Prince Albert piercing was popularized by Jim Ward in the early 1970s. So it has nothing to do with... Uh, let's see. Apparently there's an urban legend that Prince Albert had this piercing... He did not. ...in order to tame the appearance of his large penis and tight trousers. How does that help? I think, like, so if there's, like, a hoop through it, you can, like, chain it to something. Oh, to strap it to the leg. Yeah. It's bullshit. No. Well, no, it says it's a, It says it's an urban legend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like, so... One of, the, <laughs> like, one, of the young men, one of the young men at the Full Monty in the Short North uh, had a uh, glow-in-the-dark <laughs> one of those. Wow. And he was like, do you want a lap dance? And I was like, I do not. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah. Offended Jenny is at the implication that Prince Albert had a big dick. Oh, I'm fine if he had a large penis. He probably did. He was a very, like, he seemed like a very attractive, like, manly man. Like, he did a lot of exercising and things like that. He probably, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, a penis has nothing to do with any of that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where are you going? Do you think he was lifting things with his penis to tone it? <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! Maybe he used the piercing to attach like small weights to it to to like lift so he could lift like little barbells or something. Oh god! Oh god! I'm picturing it. Oh, I hate it. Okay. Oh, we really. I don't know how to come back. Like I don't know. We can't. I don't know how to fix this. I, I don't, don't know, know if I can edit around any of this. I think it's I all would... going to make it in. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> okay, here is my memory. I said something about a strip show. It devolved. But we could maybe wrap it back around and just say... God, no! Just no. start with... Um, hold on. just wrapped around the fucking pole! You have to stop making reference to it or we can't edit it out. <laughs> here we go, here we go. There's something about a strip show. Here's how we go. Okay. So I saw the strip show. But then we get into the real stuff. The stuff that Cody warned children not to watch. Which, I don't know if we totally got there, but we're going to do this damn lash thing. Uh, MJF, he points at his belt. He's like, no, no, no. Too nice. Cody, since you're stripping, give me your belt. Because I'm not going to ruin mine by getting your gross skin on it. Which, okay. And then lashing happens. Like, Cody is shirtless. And MJF just takes a belt and full-on hits Cody in the back. And immediately there's a red spot. And it looks super painful. And it sounds super painful. And he gets through the first one and... Almost immediately, we get people on stage, the heels of the group. We get the Butcher, the Blade, and the Buddy showing up. Kip Sabian's there. Sammy's there. Britt's there. They all want to see this happen. After a couple more lashes, Art Anderson walks out to provide support. He doesn't interfere. 
Yeah, it was Lash number three that Arn uh, emerged. Yeah, he just goes over to the apron and kind of gives Cody words of encouragement, basically being like, you can do this, tough it out. Um, After five lashes, Dustin comes out, and he doesn't just support. He goes up to MJF and is like, let me take the remaining five. I'll do this. But Cody waves him off, and he doesn't want him to have to do this. And I don't think MJF (laughs) wants it to happen anyway. So This is an empty gesture. He had to know this wasn't going to (laughs) work. Well, I appreciated the gesture. I got the impression that even if he knew that, he would have taken them if MJF was suddenly very on board with the idea. Yeah, I, I, this was the most helpful thing anyone else did. Like, what kind of friends and family, like, encourage you to just keep taking lashes? No, we'll get to that. Well, next up, I feel like this is just going to fuel Jenny's rage. The Young Bucks walk yeah, out. turning. They're turning. They this want to is, see this. Yeah, this is um, this is after seven lashes. Yeah, and they much like Arn, they come to the side and they're like, "We're here for you. Don't you know? You got this." But they, they audibly don't. scream, "Only three left. You can do this." No, this is not something you should encourage him to do. I think Megan, he- I would never encourage you <laughs> to keep taking lashes. Uh, I'm a big wuss, and I would have not done this deal to begin with, Jenny. So don't worry, you'll never have to make an empty gesture of offering yourself up. Well, I wouldn't, but I, I didn't would tell you you're an idiot, and I would pull you out of the ring. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, But the Bucks do not do that. And, and Cody... Because they're not uh, good friends. Cody's back is rough at this point. It, I will say MJF really concentrated on the right side, which... I think backstage, I would have said, hey, man, can you distribute it a little better? But that's just me. (laughs) His right side's very red. Uh, Well, it's because he's right-handed. Like, I think it has to come with the angle from him being right-handed. Well, then just move over. Well, I know. MJF's not very smart, Megan. Okay. So with two lashes left to go, Wardlow steps up and asks MJF if he can be the one to administer the last ones. And I believe MJF allows it. He does. He tells Bryce that he can have... He's given Wardlow one of his lashes. Yeah. I thought this was so smart because that it creates a direct thing. That's like a direct hook for the, the cage match now. None of this is smart. It <laughs> It's poor Cody. So... Uh, Brandy walks out after Wardlow has done his lash. And, and he, one like, more. Wardlow's was just brutal. Like, he just laid into him. Yeah, he's a huge man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Brandy comes out after that, and she is Tears not... in her eyes. She's not doing Nightmare Collective in any form. She is the concerned wife. She takes his hand. She's like, you got this. Um, you know, I'm here for you. She's very much just wife Brandy and not I'm doing black magic Brandy. He kisses her hand as he as he's trying to like motivate himself to stand back up one last time. Yeah, yeah. So so she comes out concerned, tears in her eyes. She is very she is the wife here. However, as the wife, you do not encourage your husband to take another lash. I mean, you comfort, I, you love, you protect. You do not encourage him to take more physical pain. I would have pulled Andy out of that ring <laughs> and dragged him 
from there. I never would have gotten my match with MJF then. You don't need the fucking match with MJF. Who cares? You should be better and bigger than that. Why are you giving him so much power, Cody? Why are you doing this to yourself? It makes no fucking sense. This makes you look so weak. And why are your friends and family encouraging you to do this? No. I think that the maybe the part I'm I'm okay with them giving him support because Cody's a grown ass man. He made this decision himself. They can't stop him. And if he's gonna see it through, then I think the best way to be a friend is to just be like, okay, we're Not here the for best you. way to be a wife. Andy wouldn't make this decision. And if he did, I'd fucking pull him out of the ring. <laughs> well, Cody survives. I mean, he gets his last lash and... This after- time, right across the chest. Right onto his dream tattoo. Oof. That's just mean. After that, though, MJF gets a cheap shot in. Like he, The lashing is complete. Cody is broken. And he still, still just has to get one more over on him. He punches him. And then runs into the crowd. No, he, he kicks, kicks him, him in the balls. balls. Oh, he kicked him. Oh, you're right. Sorry, I didn't in make a balls. ball watch. Yeah. A ball watch note here. Oh. Uh, but yeah, he gets his attack in and then immediately retreats because he is scared. And at this point, poor Cody's broken. Uh, he's been beaten up both by his own choice and, you know, the cheap shot. And then... Wait, 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 guys. Why did no one bring ice down to him? All these people came out. Why did no one bring a steak or ice down to him to help him? These are not real friends. I guess they just assumed that the doctor station after the fact would be. And instead of after he's finished, them like calling out the doctor or taking him out to go get him ice, Brandy helps him over to the turnbuckle to just watch MJF put fucking ice on his back. Yeah, I don't know. Where's really... the ointment cream? It's all back in the medical station. So, yeah, this was. Before we get into deep, deep analysis, too, I just wanted to say did a member of the crowd try to attack MJF at the end? So, I thought it was, but actually, it turned out it was Kazarian. Okay. I couldn't see the face, and it almost looked like security dragged whoever it was away, but I was like, holy shit. Somebody get apparently- Apparently he wasn't suppo- he wasn't like scheduled to do that. It was just like he decided like in his head like, well, somebody should like, you know, this is like such a major thing. Someone should go after him. So he decided he would be the person who would do that. I he's not wrong. That is a no. logistical. It makes total sense. I just it was so unclear who it was. I thought maybe someone in the crowd got fired up and went for it. That's what I thought. I thought, wow, and Jeff's a really good heel. And then Wardlow <laughs> kind of like pulled him. Behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's funny because like so so yeah so like so somebody appears and like tries to double leg MJF, and then you see like the next shot is Wardlow like pulling the guy backstage, and then it cuts back again and it's just MJF and that's the last shot. But it gave me the impression that Wardlow and like security were like working over this this man. Yeah, <laughs> like, me too. <laughs> yeah, because it was so quick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's really good. Um, okay, so I know that for weeks now I've been saying that it's, I don't, I won't like it if he takes the lashes, he should, like, use this as a chance to, like, you know, like, double-cross MJF and, and all that stuff, but I have to say, I think I was wrong, I think, I think this was the 
best segment in the history of this company. What? Yeah. No. Yeah, I think it was so, like, Cody's selling was incredible. I oh. thought it was so emotional. Um, it wasn't selling, he just got whipped. I thought that Cody was, like, I thought he was just, like, absolutely incredible. I thought MJF was great as, like, the prick heel who was enjoying it, but, like, also getting, like, more and more concerned the deeper it went because he realized, like, because the whole thing was MJF thought that he was going to break Cody during this and he wouldn't have to have the match anyway. And now it's one step closer to having to actually have the match that he doesn't want to have. And, like, you know, everybody coming out, like, all the heels coming out to enjoy it, and then and then Dustin and Arn and the Bucks, and finally Brandy at the very end. I thought it was just amazing and, like, top-shelf, like, pro-wrestling stuff. Like, better than... This is, like, the best angle I've seen in years. Jenny? I hated it. I hated it. I... I just, it was so dragged out. It took forever to get through this. It was probably a 20 minute segment. It's 15 minutes. It felt longer than that. I, I, I don't want to see people being like brutalized on stage. And then to have all these people come out, but not do anything. They were being supportive. They were being supportive emotionally for a really dumb thing. And they weren't being practically helpful. Like, I think the fact that they were they had so many people come out and like basically put a stamp on this and like how important it was and like by supporting him and saying he can do it, I think that made the thing less stupid. I guess I I I did not enjoy it. Uh, my turn. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm dying to know what you thought of it. I ended up liking it. <laughs> I don't think I liked it as much as Andy, but it definitely didn't come across as stupid to me. And I totally get your point of view, Jenny, on like your friend shouldn't let you do stupid stuff. But I also think what he was doing wasn't going to kill him. So if a friend wants to do something stupid, that's not going to hurt them like long term. Who am I to stand in the way, you know? I think it's better to just be there for support. And if midway through they're like, this was a bad idea. Sure, I'll jump in. I'll I'll get you out of there. But Cody is a grown man. He has agency. And I definitely get the messaging of like, like it showed him how strong he was and how much he really wants to kick MJF's ass by putting up with this. So... It resonated more than I thought it would. And especially with all the people coming out, that was, that helped a lot too. Just because if Cody had been like, this is it, I hate this, I don't want to do this anymore, he had a whole team of people ready to jump in and like destroy MJF. But he didn't. So it showed that he had restraint and he did what he said he was going to do. And now he's going to kill MJF. (laughs) And I think you'll at least appreciate when that part happens. Down the line. Yeah, I guess so. I think it's I think it was just like it's all in the execution, right? And and Cody like I don't know how many people could have pulled this off, but Cody is so like next level with his emoting and his acting. I think that he was I think he was like the perfect guy for this for this angle. I don't like I just I don't know like I said, I don't know how many other people could have pulled this off. Yeah, I but, think it helped yeah. too because the crowd 
loves him. And when it first started, I was like, oh, this is going to be fucking stupid. But then the crowd, <laughs> the crowd really was like, come on, Cody, like you got this. And it's not the same as when like the crowd needs to clap for heels because they're Tinkerbell and they're or not heels, but faces because they're Tinkerbell and they're like failing and they need strength. This was like, we are with you 100%. We're on your side, Cody. You got this, man. And it was just, it was weirdly powerful. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I loved it. I it 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 uh, it really fired me up for the, it got me really excited for the uh, for the matchup at uh, Revolution. Although you know he still has to beat Wardlow. Well, now he's mad because Wardlow administered one lash, so he's he's gonna kill him. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, I mean, on the I, I tell you on the strength of um, on the strength of that eight man tag and uh, Hangman manifesting a beer out of thin air. And uh, the Cody angle. I thought this was one of the better episodes of Dynamite so far. I hope Hangman manifesting beers is his new superpower. <laughs> yeah, he never got a superpower, did he? During I don't the, think so. During that era of being the elite. Because wasn't he wrapped up with murdering Adam Page, or Adam Cole, and also talking to his boots? Joey Ryan. You're, you're right. Sorry. There's so many dead people. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, wasn't he more involved with uh, his boot relationship than he was with superpowers? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so so maybe maybe that could be his his power, like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny, what did you think overall of the episode of Dynamite? I thought there were highs and lows. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, let's talk about ratings real quick. Um, this is from the Observer website. I'll just read this. Uh, both AEW and NXT showed strong increases in viewers on February 5th, although most out of the 18 to 49 demo. And the gap in AEW's favor widened, even though WWE heavily hyped its show with commercials all over Raw and pushing the first Charlotte Flair appearance on NXT. AEW, built largely around Cody taking 10 lashes from MJF, did 928,000 viewers. Uh, and... A 0.36 in 18 to 49, up 12% in viewers from last week and up 6% in the key demo. 900 and... 922. 922. Okay, yeah, so, so it's back in the 900 They bounced again. back big time, yeah. NXT did 770,000 viewers and a 0.22 in 18 to 49, an increase of 8.1% um, in viewers, but staying the same in the 18 to 49 demo. Um, in the 18 to 49, AEW had 468,000 viewers to just 288,000 for NXT. Uh, in all groups within that demo, as in most weeks, the edge went to AEW. AEW more than doubled NXT in teenagers, but NXT was well ahead in 50 plus. Uh, and I don't have full quarter hours, but I do know that the Cody MJF quarter was a monster, uh, doing 972,000 viewers, and that MJF or that, that uh, AEW rather won every single quarter, and none of the quarters were particularly close. So slaughter. Yeah, big win. But like, it's good. It's I think it's good news. It's good that both shows were up from the week before. It's good AEW's back up in the nine hundreds. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, because I know you were concerned last week mm-hmm. they had fallen a lot. Uh, you guys want to do some news? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, uh, last night in Osaka. John Moxley retained his IWGP United States Championship against Minoru Suzuki. 
on uh, on the big New Japan show. He was attacked after the match by Zack Sabre Jr., which is uh, presumably going to set up his next uh, United States Championship program. So Mox continuing to uh, uh, work uh, fairly regularly with New Japan as well as AEW. That's he said he has fun. even more dates this year than he did last year, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it'll probably depend on if he does G1 again, because G1 has so many dates. I am sort of sad I missed, or I canceled my New Japan subscription because that sounds fun. Like, Mox's run over there sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then other news. AEW announced they were heading back to Las Vegas for Double or Nothing 2020. On Saturday, May 23rd, tickets go on sale February 14th for the event, which will emanate from the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Uh, Tony Khan was interviewed by Sports Illustrated. He said, it's been an incredible run and only fitting that we return to Las Vegas to celebrate our one-year anniversary with AEW's marquee event. On Saturday, May 23rd, Double or Nothing is back for round two at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Last year's event changed the world of wrestling, and this year the stakes will be even higher. So that's exciting. Wow. It's, you know, and we can only have pay-per-views in two cities. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from The Observer, Vince McMahon downplayed AEW to investors in WWE's quarterly business call. He said, AEW has not changed our content at all because it's all about characters and storylines and resolutions, he said. So it really hasn't changed our point of view in terms of what we present, and we don't need a more edgy, as you call it, content. PG, one of the few programs out there that really is PG. So as far as NXT, we're competing with NXT. It's competing on Wednesday night with AEW, doing extremely well. And we're confident that NXT will continue on those successes. Sounds like a very it's an interesting political answer there. It sounds like he doesn't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> what a dumbass. No, I think he knows what's going on. He's just not going to say that to... It's political, but he, it's political in a way that he said things that contradict, like, facts you could look up on Google. I, be political, be vague. Like, don't say things that are specific to destroying them in the ratings. NXT is not winning. Oh, my God. Vince, you big, dumb idiot. And also, <laughs> if your criticism is, oh, they resolve storylines and things like that. We don't do that here. You're bad. <laughs> I, I can't even. Oh, it's so stupid. He didn't say he was killing AEW. He said that they were competing against themselves and that they were doing great versus themselves. No, he said it's competing on Wednesday night with AEW, doing extremely well, and we're confident NXT will continue on those successes. Okay. You fucking lost <laughs> so many weeks in a row. It's so well, bad. Well, won once. <laughs> Jesus, I if you're going to be political, you be vague. Everyone knows you know the facts and you're just not going to touch on them and that's fine. When you just say blatant things that are wrong, just the opposite of the truth, it's like, bro, I hate it. Yeah. Uh Sammy Guevara suffered an ankle injury on the Jericho cruise putting his boot on. Oh my god, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> I like it. I like when people are just like, whoops. <laughs> I this failed. Is, this is the life. only injury suffered on the cruise. <laughs> he he uh he parodied it a bit on his uh on his vlog last week, so I thought that was fun. What, Here's something know, what? I was gonna say, you know what uh appears to be another result of the cruise? What's that? Is that 
people know Jericho's theme song now. And this week, they sang it in the crowd way longer than usual. And the camera people definitely highlighted uh, those audience members that knew all the words. So It went back to the same ones. I thought well, that yeah, was funny. They were dead. Um, it's more so than the crews on Instagram. AEW put out a sing-along with the lyrics. Oh, damn. Okay. So we're getting so into that people, people could learn the lyrics. People singing it. Okay. It's going to be crazy at Revolution because those are like the really hardcore fans. Yeah. His whole song's going to get sang. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was super cool. It's it's one of those things that just shows you that AEW is just becoming part of like culture. Uh, a new line of action figures produced by Wicked Cool Toys uh, will be unveiled at the New York Toy Fair on February 22nd. So they're getting they've they've gotten a toy license, and this is the same company that uh, has the Fortnite toy license. So they're like a, a you know they they make like toys that actually sell. That's that'd be fun. Yeah. March 21st is AAA's Ray DeReyes, and Kenny Omega will be making his next Mega Heavyweight Championship defense on that show. Pentagon and Phoenix will also be defending their uh, AAA tag team titles there. So just more like AEW people working in other places news. Uh, From post-wrestling, Joey Janela announced for his WrestleMania week show, Joey Janela's Spring Break 4, a match between Orange Cassidy and New Japan's Minoru Suzuki, which is like a weird matchup that I'm excited to see. So I might, I don't know, I might order Joey Janela's Spring Break this year. (laughs) Uh, Here's our uh, John Moxley quote of the week. While speaking with Scott Fishman of TV Insider, John Moxley talked about the story that he, Chris Jericho, and AEW have been piecing together to build to the AEW title match at Revolution. Moxley made comparisons between AEW and WWE and talked about the differences between the two companies when it comes to telling stories. It's what it's supposed to be. That's pro wrestling. That's the kind of wrestling I enjoyed as a kid. That's the thing. The difference for us is we don't have 37 pay-per-views a year and 600 network specials every year. We have Dynamite every week, but four or five pay-per-views a year. We can keep those high-quality, big matches for those. A big fight feel. I think some of that has been missing over the last few years when you have to rush through stories and car crash stuff and give so much away on TV. The gratifying part for me is that it's so much easier. You don't have to overcomplicate things. The story is simple. You have professionals who know what they're doing, veteran guys. Sometimes you can take risks and try something out. Maybe it works or doesn't. It's always great to be willing to do that. The lack of 30 writers buzzing around with all this weird fucking energy is the biggest difference. Instead of a 10-minute sports entertainment segment on AEW... I don't have anyone bugging me with a 40-page script to memorize or drilled to be how it's supposed to be done. It's very stress-free when you just let guys do their jobs. It's easier when you have more in command of the rudder of the ship. Better than having the wind blowing in 50 fucking directions. Wow. Get him, Moxley. <laughs> uh, and final news note. This is just uh, tangentially related to AEW, but The Revival, the uh, WWE tag team, reportedly this week turned down $700,000 per year each in their latest round of negotiations with WWE, after which they once again requested their release. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. I love because WWE only has money. They That's all they understand. And when people are like, fuck your money, what do you do? It's so great. So, supposedly their contracts are up in April. So, uh, yeah. 
So we could be seeing them fairly soon. And I think they would like to do the kind of, I think they want to work in New Japan also. So we'll see how that goes for them. But uh, yeah, I think it's exciting that people want to, you know, people want to come work for AEW and don't, you know, they would just, they want to get out of that place. And it's not just John Moxley, you know, it's, it's more than that. All right. Previews for next week before we get out of here. AEW Dark for February 11th. We've got Riho versus Shoko Nakajima for uh, from Tokyo Joshi Pro. And I, I believe she's been on one of the shows before. Maybe not Dynamite, but like one of those, uh, you know, one of those shows over the summer. And uh, so she's back. Uh, there's an Alabama Legends segment like they did in uh, Memphis a, you know, a couple weeks ago. Jimmy Havoc versus Sonny Kiss. Hikaru Shida versus Cassandra Golden. I don't know Cassandra Golden. And uh, it appears the main event will be the Dark Order, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, versus Jurassic Express, Marco <sighs> Stunt, and the Jungle Boy. So the Dark Order get, like, a an official sanctioned match. Yeah. Although they had one, they had, remember they had one against Cutler and Kiss uh, a couple weeks ago. You didn't watch that uh, Dark, but we, we, we did talk about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And Brandon Cutler did not tag into that match. Mm-mm. And then uh, here's what we know for Dynamite for the 12th. Uh, we've got Mega Hung defending their tag team titles against SCU. We've got John Moxley versus Santana. Eye for an eye. And Riho defends her women's title against Nyla Rose. So you can look forward to those matches. I'm very much looking forward to uh, the tag team title match to see what they do, what they can do on land that they were maybe not able to do at sea. More stuff off the roofs. I would think so, yeah. Maybe some more dives. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, for Megan and Jenny, I'm Andy. And you've been listening to The Elite Beat. Elite Beat. E-E-Elite Beat.